0: On. This is Brian. This is behind the scenes with Brian, and today I'm joined by Sabrina Dias. Sabrina, how are you today?
1: I'm good, thank you. How
0: are you? Ah, yeah, really well. We met at a wonderful conference of the Broadmoor a few weeks ago, the Gold Forum. <laughs> and uh just I wanted to chat with you a little bit more. We spent a lot of time chatting, but I didn't find out too much about you. So so first of all, where are you today? You're in Toronto?
1: I'm in Toronto, yeah, okay. my home.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, Sabrina, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education.
1: Sure. So I have an undergraduate degree in ceramic engineering and society. That's the official title of it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I know, it's unique, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. I got the degree at McMaster University in Hamilton about an hour yeah a bit from Mm -hmm. Toronto Mm -hmm. and the ceramic part um was interesting I was you know a geology class here and there a lot of thermodynamics and um a lot of mass material based studies the society part of the degree it -hmm. was a new a new degree offered at McMaster I don't know if they still do it I think they should where um instead of the four year strict engineering program, it, they spread it over five years. And, and within the five years, you take uh, courses in things like ethics and engineering and um, the history of technology. Uh, okay. And you then it was interesting. You also get room for uh, selecting optional courses. And a minor, I took uh, cultural anthropology and women's studies. Okay. Cool. And then you also take course, courses. The engineering and society students would take courses with the arts and science students, and that's a very um, kind of a, a very tough program to get into at McMaster. Oh, the arts and science. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we at least had a lot of healthy debate with the arts and science students between the engineering students. Um, and I went into ceramic uh, for two different reasons. I chose mm-hmm. ceramic because. I thought I might one one day want to work for NASA. Yeah, Um, I was just
0: was just thinking of their heat shields. So that's uh, that's okay, okay.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then the other reason was well, if I don't go into aerospace and work for NASA, I'll go to med school and be a surgeon and work with you know (laughs) implants and things like that. So that was my long term view. And okay. I chose engineering as well because I knew you could start working right after graduation. Uh, like you didn't. Yeah. I was just concerned if I studied biology, then where do you go to be a biologist? So
2: right, right.
1: Just yep. thinking ahead. Yeah. So that yeah. was my education.
2: Okay. Um,
1: I also did an internship. So actually, it was a six-year degree because I took a year off to do an internship. Okay. okay. I worked at IBM, IBM Canada, in uh, mm. their tech support. Yeah. That was a long uh. time ago.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not that long ago. I don't
1: know, it was the 90s. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, okay, that's a long time ago. <laughs> it's
0: a matter of perspective, I suppose.
1: I guess so.
0: so. So Sabrina, once you got out of school with your degree, what, what did you do? What, what did you, and what did you think you wanted to do besides working for NASA?
1: Um, well, while I was studying in my last year, the summer before Mm -hmm. my last year, my mom got very sick. Mm. So um, she got cancer. So I I needed a job right after school. At least that was my goal. I just, you know, we needed to hunker down and take care of business. Yeah. Uh, As a ceramic engineer, there wasn't much in my field in the Toronto area. Uh, but I did get uh, contacted by a company in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, called Ferro Corporation. It was a, I don't know if it's still around, but it's a pigment corporation, and okay. I was offered to join their uh, color R&D team. So,
2: good.
1: and Cleveland was close enough, enough to Toronto so that I could come home on weekends. Um, okay,
0: yeah, yeah. So
1: that worked well, and it was a good job. Uh, and it was actually it was a real it was one of my favorite jobs in my career because as an R and D scientist, yeah, you get yeah. um protected by man by your manager to be as uh, creative and innovative as you want.
0: Oh, okay, uh, okay, you
1: know, like you still had mandates to, you know, test yeah. the weather weathering of certain okay. materials and stuff, but we we used to do our manager used to do Fun Fridays. So at mm-hmm. noon on Friday, oh, yeah. if you were yeah. done your work in the uh-huh. afternoon. You could do whatever you want. We had a I remember a cadmium furnace in the, the lab at the back, where we could blow shit up, as we used to say, <laughs> and just just bad. have fun
2: because yeah. that's where oh, innovation that's cool.
1: comes from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um,
1: so I did. I was there for um, I think a year and a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and when my mom passed away, mm. I moved back to Toronto because I yeah. had a 15 year old sister so and the agreement I mean my mom and I had talked about it that I'm the older one so oh my dog's joining us um, okay <laughs> uh, we had agreed you know that I'm all done you know I've been baked and, and now I'm working Yeah. and uh, so my little sister would need me so that was always the agreement. so I resigned from Pharaoh and I moved back to Toronto to finish raising her and I was looking for a job but I needed anything really Um mm-hmm. But the power of the universe, I guess, my manager at Pharaoh Corporation, loveliest man ever, Hmm. he was a former Canadian. And when he worked in the Toronto area, Mm -hmm. he, I guess, kept in touch with one of his former employees. And they happened to bump into each other, like not more than a month after I moved home.
2: And his former
1: employee said... He was a refractory engineer at an engineering company, Hatch, and apparently he said, you know, yeah. God, I need to hire a junior engineer. I, there's no ceramic engineers anymore. And Girl. my boss from Fair said, I've got one. And she has to move back to Canada <laughs> for her family. Um, so yeah, I, I, I interviewed Hatch. They actually didn't accept me on the first interview. They gave the job to somebody else. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then they called back like six months later and they said, okay, we'd like to... Put our offer back on the table, um, yeah. so I started working for Hatch in Mississauga, and uh, I had yeah. no idea what what mining was at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. It was a so, good
1: experience.
0: so mm-hmm. what what kind of work did you do for Hatch? I can't imagine I mean, it would be in the.
1: It was in the furnace group. They were called. yeah. Okay, so, so I worked.
0: A, autoclaves or yeah yeah okay yeah
1: so I worked with the furnace group as a refractory engineer mm-hmm. uh we were one of two or three I think there are three of us actually who designed the brick linings for autoclaves uh, for smelters and um it really wasn't that interesting actually <laughs> I was bored to tears. I mean, when you come from an R&D world where the scientists are creative and it's fun Mm -hmm. and, you know, there'd be music playing sometimes and you'd go to the (laughs) pilot plant and you'd come back covered in blue dust. Like it was just, it was very Mm -hmm. different. Uh, But it was a good job and it was a, a, you know, great team. They were a lot of fun and, and interesting, but the work itself bored me to tears. Uh, So I would um, find things at the office to do that were interesting. So they always had lunch and learns. Mm -hmm. Somebody Mm -hmm. from a project or had written a paper, they'd do a presentation in the basement learning center.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, And I would go to those since those were sometimes boring as well. Yeah, sure, sure. But there was one that was from the sustainable development group. And I knew Hatch had a sustainable development group. I just didn't know what they did. So I went to their lunch and learn. And the afternoon after, the director of the the group, he came by my desk with the sign and like, I just came to follow up with you. What were you doing in Lynch to learn? You're an engineer and you work for the furnace group. Apparently, there was no crossover at a company. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> S- yeah si- silos are pretty common.
1: And apparently, it's shocking when someone crosses over. So he came to find out what I was doing there. And I said, Oh, I was just interested. Um, And he goes, What'd you think? I said, I thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was more interesting than I was doing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And he he said, So, do you want to do some work for us? And I said, Absolutely. And back then, this was the year 2000. Back then, sustainable Mm -hmm. development was just not just, but it was focused on environment. It was life cycle analysis. Yeah. 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 It was um, materials management. That's all that it was. But it was still more interesting than designing bricks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I said, sure. But I knew my boss at the time would not be keen on that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, there was no point in asking. You kind of learned when to ask and when not to ask, and when to just yeah. do things. So yeah. I just moon. I moonlighted for uh, the sustainable development group for a while. Oh,
0: okay, okay.
1: Yeah, and it was it was fun. It was it was a great group. It was more interesting than what I was doing. And then when my um, boss from the refractory group found out, I remember he came to my desk. and He goes. I heard you've been working for a stable development group. I said, yeah. yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yes, actually. He goes, well, where do you want to work? Do you want to work there or here? You have to make a choice. And I said, okay, I'd like to work there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I don't think he was pleased.
2: No, probably um, not.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so he goes, well, then you figure it out. So I went down to the furnace group, um, not the first group, the sustainable development team. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, I asked the director, I said, you know, would you take me on? Because I really like this more than that. And uh, I remember him saying, we don't have room to take one more FTE. Um, And I said, well, that's okay. And I totally made this up on the spot, Brian. I said, take me back part-time because I'm going back to school anyways. And he said, okay, that works. He said, that works great. So (laughs) I... uh, Got everything
0: one, changed. <laughs> you know, one problem was solved.
1: <laughs> I know. So HR does all the paperwork, and then yeah. I moved us down to the Sustainable Development Group. Um, And I did. I, I went, I started to look at courses because I knew that engineering was not my thing. Refractive mm-hmm. engineering wasn't my thing. Yeah. Uh, so I started to look at more of the sustainability stuff. I took some evening courses at York University. I can't remember what they were, but they were part of the Environmental Studies Department. Because when I, um, just as, you know, just to be, um, broaden my horizons, to get more ideas. And then when I found I really liked their master's program. Mm -hmm. Well, at first I knew I needed to, no, I'm mixing up my own timeline. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) So while I was working for sustainable development, Doing life cycle analysis, I remember a gentleman from the Montreal Hatch office came to visit the Toronto office, and he had just come out of, uh, finished a project in Madagascar, and the director of sustainability, the Obama Group, said, you know, can you meet this fellow Benoit, Benoit Taino for coffee? He's just, um, you know, kind of reintegrating back into the company, and uh, I think it'd be good for you to meet with him. So I met him for coffee in the cafeteria and it was like two hours because he was telling me all of the stuff that he did as an environmental engineer in Madagascar, but majority of it wasn't environmental. It was all of the social stuff, Uh, all of the stuff that a company needs to do to um, be a good corporate citizen. You yeah. know the the protests that he was talking about or the complaints from the company or or uh you know we we accidentally um killed all the fish for example and then mm. the community was up our it's like that whole aspect fascinated yeah. me
2: yeah
1: yeah and i knew in that conversation that that's what i wanted to do mm. i didn't know what it was called i didn't know yeah. what it was called um community relations back then There was no name okay. for it uh, uh. so i um i started knocking on doors i'm like you know there's you guys have this project in this jurisdiction it sounds pretty risky and you know high poverty levels uh and nobody really got what I was trying to say and I don't think I had I was able to articulate it well so then I said okay I need to get field work done I need to like have experience so I went and did a master's at York Um, Mm -hmm. and with the master's when they applied I said uh, because you could tell them what your theme is that you want to study it's it's a, a fluid program i said i want to study mining and sustainable development and um, the admissions person said that doesn't make sense but (laughs) he said york university is very um accommodating and we're with new ideas so you can come and do it here and so every course i took with my masters had to do with a mining project and um i did my field work through the masters by going to madagascar uh, where benoit spent his time on the project and yeah, it's absolutely amazing, Brian. Yeah. And this was like back in 2004 by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and even today, it. I always think about the people that I met in, on that project. So yeah. I went there in 2004 for about six or seven months. Mm-hmm. And for most of that, I lived with a community um, in the area of influence, we call it. So one of the communities that were being consulted by them it was Rio yeah, Tinto yeah. QMM project okay,
2: okay. Mm-hmm.
1: so I lived in a community called Manjumjumcha, and uh I brought a translator with me I hired her locally from the, yeah. the main town English mm-hmm. I think was her third language okay. um so it was a mm-hmm. bit of a challenge but yeah we would live there we'd get up every morning um you know, eucalyptus tea, natural eucalyptus tea, and, and toast for breakfast. Go to yeah. the village chief's chiefs hut or house for morning check-in. Yeah. Tell them what we wanted to do. Like, you know, we, we were doing um, a gender study of the impacts of mining on this community. Right. Uh, then I would go and sit with the um, village chief's wife and her circle of women where they were weaving baskets. Yeah. And we'd spend some time with them get the village gossip. And then we'd go out and, and do the interviews um, and okay. focus groups. And then mm-hmm. we'd come back at the end of the day and report back to the chief saying everything went okay. You know, we didn't have any problems. Or if we did have a problem, then, you know, we'd tell them. And we did that for months. And it was amazing. It was absolutely okay. amazing. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: So that kind of solidified your... Relationship with uh, ESG.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, it did. It 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 really um made me see that mining mining is a, a mechanism or a vehicle for sustainable development in areas where there's such high levels of poverty. There were so much good can be brought. Um, It's like a rapid industrial development, but needs to be done carefully and with respect and dignity.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think uh, Botswana is one of the real success stories for that, you know, Mm -hmm. relatively poor nation, but Mm -hmm. um, uh, De Beers went in there and came with the country and really got a, a lot of benefits for the local population and right? mm-hmm. I I don't know what it's like today but when I was there last it was a real success
1: mm-hmm. yeah I've heard of that um, the De Beers project
0: yeah 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 so so what happened after Madagascar
1: mm, I came home I had <laughs> reverse culture shock Oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, I remember going to a grocery store just after getting back, and I was immobilized and it was um, Mm -hmm. upsetting because there was this plethora of food from every, like the fruit section. And when I lived in Madagascar, you just ate what was coming off the trees, what was in season. So beans and rice was the staple, Mm -hmm. unless it was mango season, then you had mangoes, or what they had is is cord de buff, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Lychees. i think we lived off lychees for weeks at a time and uh, <laughs> so came back and then i wrote my thesis and um delivered my thesis and finished and uh, okay. i went and i was still working with hatch too i was, I was yeah. doing a master's while doing like 20 plus hours a week at hatch um and then when i was graduated i said okay i'm done my program i'm ready to come back full time do you have room now uh the boss, he said to me, "Well, I don't really know what you did there, but <laughs> you're a good worker, and okay. you know you're really good and you're pleasant. So, yeah, yeah. okay, come back full time." Yeah. And then, literally, probably three or four weeks after, he got a call, or I, he called me into his office, and he said, "Okay, I just got off the phone for the from at the Brisbane office, and they're um, getting questioned by the client." If we do this thing called external relations because oh. they were operating they're building a project in New Caledonia. Yeah. And on the other side of the island, Goro Nickel, the old mm. Inco site, yeah. it was like it was protested every day. They were lighting things on fire. And so our client, also in New Caledonia, was starting New Caledonia, was worried that, you know, they didn't want that to happen. Yeah. And he goes, Oh, I said, you know, and I think this is what you do, right? I said that's it it's exactly <laughs> what i do <laughs> and then in a week i was on a plane and in the brisbane office working with the, you know, the apcm team and i was shuttling back and forth until finally i was like this is kind of ruining my sleep so we just moved there and okay. we were working in, in brisbane and commuting to new caledonia for the yeah. Nickel yeah. project coniambo yeah.
2: Okay. It's up and running now, and but this was
1: back in two thousand and five, two
2: thousand six. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. So it seems like a really slow but (laughs) definitive (laughs) pivot that you made from being a Mm -hmm. ceramic engineer to working in Mm -hmm.
1: on
0: on the social side, especially.
1: Yeah, it's when I look back, it was slow. But every every day counted, I think, because yeah, you, yeah. to do such a hard pivot, and I find people, mostly the younger people, say, how do I get to do what you did? Like, I want to do what you do. Yeah. And you really yeah. have to build what they say is career capital. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to put in your time, and every experience was a lesson learned. Um, so it's not like... And I did try it, you know. And after that conversation with Benoit, I was knocking on doors saying, "We have to do this." And and I couldn't articulate it. Like, um, and even when I came back from my masters, and my boss was like, "I don't know," I was still knocking on doors saying, "Okay, this is what I've learned. This is what I saw in Madagascar." I remember I did a lunch and learned too. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And still, people weren't seeing the social risk of mining and how and that it's yeah. an opportunity mm-hmm. until you know a client calls for it. Mm -hmm. so uh i think it it was slow in and it was deliberate too and some of it was by the seat of my pants like okay just take me part time um right
0: (laughs) Right, so so you don't you don't work at hatch anymore what what was the next step in your career
1: so after conie was done Mm -hmm. it went into care and maintenance yeah, and um, going back to corporate, I found hard when you work mm-hmm. at site, everything's um, everything counts when you work at a site, even yeah. pre-construction, right? When you go back to a corporate office, there's a lot of weird talking and red tape and policy and crap like that, politics.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. So then I worked for a small consulting firm, really tiny. Actually, it was a consultant I met on the Konyambu project. Uh, okay. that the client had hired uh so i worked for him and then uh falcon bridge again put me on another project in tanzania oh by then there okay. were so we were uh, strata nickel
2: okay
1: so i worked in in tanzania on a cabang the Kabanga project mm-hmm. gosh i think it was three years a lot of traveling that was one of my favorite projects um the team is phenomenal was phenomenal i think there's only a couple left so i worked with them building their community relations team their strategy they were in advanced exploration phase at the time and then they went into care and maintenance mm. <laughs> so, so then it was back um to toronto and then what did i do oh then i was um called by snc lavalin Mm-hmm. To go to Madagascar again, but for uh, the Nickel Project in the northern part of the island. So okay. I was there for a little while. It, it was a, a pretty con- not a contentious project. It was just that the community and the unions were up in arms about it. Uh, so I was there for about six months. That was a very interesting place because uh, the community was not happy. And yeah, it was yeah. one of the few times where I've I'd, I'd been on site and it was a, attacked in a way. Like they were blocking us in. We couldn't mm-hmm. get out. Um, mm-hmm. It was a little bit, it was scary at the time. Yeah, but,
2: yeah.
1: you know, I always remember that experience of what not to do. Otherwise, mm-hmm. this is the point that you get to. Like I remember seeing
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: one of the community members, I guess he was running down the street with a, a pipe, just yelling and screaming and the... The, um he was beyond rational so you just I I know you do not want your relationship with communities to get to beyond rational. Right. Right. <laughs> right so That's, treat them right. with dignity and respect. Um and then I worked Why did I go after Ambotumi? Oh um Barrick.
2: Huh?
1: Yeah so Barrick um HR called me and I thought well this is great. Now I've I've uh I've done you know ex- operations, construction, exploration sites. I know what's needed and what would be supportive to the teams at site. so I'm going to bring all this to a corporate role and um, be that support that um, site teams need in corporate. Mm-hmm. so
2: mm-hmm.
1: help with mm-hmm. policy development and program implementation and um, yeah, so that was that was an interesting experience,
2: okay.. Um,
0: well, you sure had a had a lot of experience with your boots on the ground
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: but you're you're probably pretty happy that Barrick didn't call you up and say we need somebody to work on our autoclave in nevada
1: <laughs> no although visiting the team in nevada was awesome yeah. <laughs> they were they're amazing actually all the site yeah. teams yeah. at Barrick were really amazing okay. um, so yeah. i was there for a year and a bit and mm. then I decided I'm going to start my own my own thing.
2: Okay.
0: Mm. Okay. And what, uh, what is your own thing?
1: Mm. I always knew that I wanted to work for myself. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know at what point that would be. But I got to a point where I thought, I have enough. You can never have enough. But I have a, a lot of experience in my portfolio of work. I have a lot of um connections in my network and good relationships and and a broad enough network Mm -hmm. so i knew it was time and i also was um fatigued of working within politics Mm
2: -hmm. in corporate
1: politics Mm
2: -hmm. it
1: is it's very different and i we wanted to start a family as well and women in particular cannot sustain a fly in fly out lifestyle when you're pregnant and have an infant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You
1: know, so um so I knew that it would be corporate uh while we had we started and had a family, but I just I don't have the personality for corporate. I don't play the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever yeah. game it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. so okay. Mm-hmm. So then but I started so... with one contractor or con- and it just one contract and it led to another and, and soup strategies is born.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. And how long ago, What? when was that?
1: It was 2013, 2012. Okay. I spent building like just, you know, doing a project here and there and any kind of project really, um, 2013, I had my son, and still continued doing small projects here and there. Once he got into daycare, uh, around 2014, 15, it started to get busier and busier. Um, we we grew, or kind of organically. I, whenever I get an invitation to speak to a school, a university, or a high school, I always go, and that's where I met. Um, one of my first uh contractors he was a, a student at schulich business school and okay. i was yeah. asked to go and and teach one like a guest lecture mm-hmm. um and he said you know do you mind if we meet for coffee or like just mentoring over the time i said absolutely
2: oh, and okay. uh
1: he was one of my first contractors just oh, we okay. yeah and it's, it sort of yeah. grew organically um yeah. okay. in 2019 we did a rebrand for from I was Sabrina Dye's consulting for quite a while, uh-huh. so we rebranded to Soup Strategies in 2019, and and yeah, now we're a, a small but mighty team of four.
0: And when what services do you provide?
1: Anything under the umbrella of sustainability and mining, extractives. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably two main areas. We do quite a bit of sustainability reporting. And then on the other side we do a lot of strategy development strategic planning uh, policy and as well we do impact assessments social impact assessment human rights impact assessments we help clients with preparation for audits like a tsm audit um or a gri audit Mm
2: -hmm. i
1: think um what I find most fun is the materiality process that we use for reporting because it's it's really um, eye opening because we're the third party, so we, you know, we're fresh eyes and we do um, interviews. So I always advocate for the service or the materiality process service to include a leadership workshop that we do. Okay. Because it's often the first time that all of the company's leadership is in the room to talk about sustainability. Mm. And five, six years ago, I often got, well, I'm in investor relations. I don't know what I need to be here for. Or is HR really sustainability? No. And then the conversations come out of, you know, indigenous relations. Yeah. Investor relations person, you got to probably join the meeting or diversity, equity, inclusion, it's not just an HR issue, it's you know, it's a, a site issue as well. So there's a lot of really interesting conversations that come out that it doesn't just color how the reporting is going to be planned out, like mapping to the metrics, priority topics to report in the report, but it actually reveals as well whether a strategy is needed if they don't have one and what they need to put in it. Um, or if they need to re, or if they need to pivot their strategy, um, that happened with one client, which was so exciting. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, okay. Hmm, I'd say that like a success story, I think. So we worked with this client for three years. In the first year, that we did the materiality assessment and we did a leadership workshop, and it was all on Zoom,
2: yeah.
1: because it was uh, uh, COVID, and. Um, the priority topics they this company was amazing they already had their five-year strategy in place that they were just kicking off um, but the leadership workshop and all of the, the materiality process it revealed that climate change is uh, is important um is of concern or of issue to the many of the leaders on the team and it was a surprise because it wasn't part of their their five-year strategy and uh, so it got incorporated into their strategy and today they're like one of the lowest um emitters of, of scope oh, three they are in their second year of tcfd so it's really exciting
0: <laughs>
1: that cool. um yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah i think the workshops yeah. are my favorite
0: yeah yeah okay
1: well,
0: what is a typical line of services or an example that you can give us so we can understand a little bit better about what your company does
1: a line of service, like an example of a line of service.
0: Yeah. Or an mm-hmm. another example of what you've done for a company.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Often our first projects start with the reporting. Okay. Uh, And the materiality process, it peels back the layers of the business, the layers of the onion. It, um, it's eye-opening to see everything on on the paper. Uh, what we do is we generate what's called an ESG profile, which we mm. copy-read it a couple of years ago. Okay. So we, when we do the desktop study, when we do the stakeholder interviews and the focus groups or the leadership interviews, we we analyze all the transcripts and the documents. Uh, one of my courses, like I was telling you at... Um, York part of the masters was qualitative research methods so which I love and and we take this research method to the analysis and we quantify um, the say the number of times ESG topics is mentioned and in in what way so that we come out with a a bar chart in the order of materiality of the ESG topic Um, and it can be quite revealing sometimes they're surprised well health and safety is our top thing. We're always, we're, you know, we think about that all the time, but it's at the bottom of the chart because they think about it all the time. It's second nature to them. It's not a concern. Um, so it's kind of revealing that way. Where was I going with this? Ah, um, <clears throat> usually the first sustainability report is, it serves as a baseline. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: okay.
1: And then from there, the client will um, take a look at it and say, this is where we are. And then we'll say, well, where do we want to go? So we've worked with clients on their, where do we want to go part in terms of their sustainability goals and targets. And I like to ask them, what do you want your company to be known for? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier answer. What do you not want to be known for? Well, I don't want to be known as the rape and pillage mining company of the the century. I want to be known for um, being the best corporate neighbor mm. um, and helping them set their goals. And it's a very, um, not tedious process, but it's kind of like you're pivoting. You're asking your a company to pivot. So yeah. it goes and drips and drabs but it's really about perseverance. So, okay, we've got what you decided are your priority topics that you're going to set major goals to. You want to be carbon neutral by this date. You want to be 50% women on the board by this date. How are we going to get there? And it doesn't happen in one session. With one client, we did weekly, probably weekly or biweekly sessions over five months.
0: Okay. Okay. Because
1: (laughs) It took um, to pivot in that short of a time. It's not like you're pivoting your career, which took years. You're asking a company to recalibrate their their priorities, I guess. Um, so they often have to, people. it's just the nature of people. You have to go away and think about it and stew on it and talk about it and then come oh. back and say, actually, I think we can take that a step further. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, I often try and plant little seeds here and there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like um, you, you, basic, you, you need an Indigenous people's policy. You really need one.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's, they may not get there in the first session, but they might get there in the 10th session, and that's fine.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of one of the big mining companies that had a model or a slogan or a tagline that was something like value in every ounce. Which can mean a lot of things and probably to them it meant, you know, value to our neighbors, to our investors, to our community. But it, it doesn't sound that way to an outsider, it just sounds like money. And that, that tagline didn't yeah. last very long and it was probably because of the, the social side of the business said, you know mm-hmm. what, that's, that's not what our people that's not what your neighbors hear when they
1: see Mm -hmm. that yeah yeah words are important and that that also comes through especially when you're going to be making a policy public um Mm. know with one company we helped them develop their sustainability policy and the way i like to do it it's time intensive um yeah but You know, I interview all of the leadership team and then I interview the board as well and take from those interviews, from the content or the words from those interviews and work into a sustainability policy so that there's going to be a sense of ownership. Um, so it's not just, and we've been asked before by clients, can you just give me a policy in about two weeks? Just give me whatever's popular. <laughs> <We> just, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah.
2: okay. um,
1: because then it's just a piece of paper. Yeah. Whereas if a policy comes from the horse's mouth, it's there's more ownership and um, affinity for it. But it went around so many times because they were, there are words on paper that are going to go public. And do we really want to say that? Do we really want to? Um, so even if they end up on the same words of this first draft, at least the conversation I think is valuable because the discussion means they're having bought more bought into it, more ownership of it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So back when you started in this field, the, the term sustainability in mining probably sounded like an oxymoron to a lot of people because
1: this is what the the university said to me (laughs)
0: yeah once you mine the water body it's gone there is no sustainable it's not like you can keep on Mm -hmm. mining or something but so Mm -hmm. and that that's a challenge i had a few years ago when i ran a little conference that was centered around sustainability so Mm how 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 is mining sustainable
1: you are taking something out of the ground and not putting it back so you know by definition there however there's the way it can be done so that the people who are going to be impacted and not just the local communities but even you know downstream the use of your product um is is respectful and um is respectful of the environment, is respectful respectful of the people that you engage or you hire to extract it. I mean, they call it ethical sourcing. They, there's a lot mm-hmm. of names for all of this. Right, but right, right. Um, the basis, I think it's about treating people how you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how would you treat your employees? Uh, fair pay and all that stuff. Um how do you and do you even engage with the local communities not from a top-down from a you know a colonialist perspective of we're here yeah. to take the out and we'll just give you what we think you deserve
2: right right right
1: but as a partnership as a partnership yeah. or yeah. Um, as a marriage you know there's benefits there's everything it's a is of mutual benefit it should be of mutual benefit mutual respect um yeah and without trying to hurt anybody (laughs) yeah
2: basically yeah
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. and yeah for sure sustainability has a lot of different connotations in Nevada for example it's pretty easy to turn a mine site back into a wildlife area you know Mm -hmm. if if, if it was never um, capable of ranching or housing or something like that, it's, it's pretty easy mm-hmm. to say, Okay, this is going to be a wildlife area, this is going to be perfectly mm-hmm. uh, taken back over by nature. It'll be mm-hmm. uh, deer and antelope and you know, rabbits and whatever else there. But in some parts of the world, it's a lot more difficult to say, Okay, uh, depending where you are, there, there could be a lot of challenges
1: Mm yeah um you bring up like post closure and this is something that is it's not done i i'd I'd like it to be the next big thing that mining focuses on Mm -hmm. is planning and we we call it our team we call it closure and legacy planning so okay. not just how you're going to close the site and yeah. rehabilitate mm-hmm. do the reclamation yeah. um yeah. but how do you build how do you build the legacy of your community development programs so that after your mine is closed after most of their team has moved back those um community initiatives infrastructure whatever can still be sustained Yeah. so yeah. building into and you know the the in the early 2000s there were so many stories of mining companies going in and building schools everywhere but there were no
2: teachers
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i saw this in madagascar when i lived there Mm. um there was the old school building that was crumbling there's the new school building that was brand new and there was only one teacher in four different classrooms uh so the the kids had to rotate and they couldn't Mm. There was no school close by after grade four so after grade four nobody was educated unless you moved you know a yeah, six okay. hour walk away yeah. um so there's a lot like there's planning that goes beyond just the building um so training everyone talks about local procurement and local mm-hmm. employment yeah you're going to be um, helping build like small enterprises micro loans you want to do that that's great but make sure that they don't just service your mind site There's other mines in the area, work with them um, on, you know, and and engage, like share. So that, you know, if your life of mine is seven years and the other life of mine is 27 years, work with them in developing a a local business plan. Um, And even skills that are transferable outside of mine sites, regional development planning. But closure is is really um, not well planned in the beginning
0: and no i i agree and and i i think it's it's one of these things so when i was a little kid in elementary school we were told that soccer was going to be the next big sport it was 10, 10 years away and i think soccer still isn't a big thing in the u.s I mm-hmm. know that it's a thing but it's not a big thing mm-hmm. and it's kind of like closure planning yeah. 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago we we're all saying that's this is the next big thing and it still isn't as big of a mm-hmm. thing as it deserves to be
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: but, and 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 okay, okay part of that is because the mining company never wants to stop mining so it, it's a moving target the, the goalposts are always moving so Yeah, your waste dumps is always getting bigger. The underground is getting bigger. The the, whatever is getting bigger and changing over time. And there's two of these instead of one of them, so it it can be a real challenge. But I, Mm -hmm. I think, I think, um, it it certainly deserves more attention than it's been getting.
1: It's Mm -hmm.
2: just,
0: just like soccer in the U.S. You know, some someday it'll be the next big thing
1: it is in europe and south america it's getting bigger in canada
0: yeah Yeah, i would think so i would think Mm so so Brian, it's been really fun catching up with you and I i think i've gone through all the questions i had for you was there something you wanted to talk about that we didn't touch on already
1: probably i think this kind of riffs off of the closure planning you made me think of something i would like to add is um, sustainable development is is about um, long term planning, future planning, mm-hmm. and it's it's a huge it's a huge part of sustainability. I think where that gets blocked is leadership. Often, mm-hmm. CEOs or Maybe even GMs—they're just thinking. Well, I'm only going to be here for five years. So, what do I, right. I want to get done? Yeah. yeah. Um, and leadership—I think the best leaderships are the ones who say, "Well, when I'm done in five years, this is what's going to continue. This is what I'd like to continue."
2: Yeah.
1: It's um, the stop-start that happens with turnover in leadership is, is one of the problems in—I mean, business in general, but with especially with sustainability.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's that's great, Sabrina. I know that you're quite busy uh, doing what you do, but I'm I'm gonna let you go for now. But I really appreciate you spending time with us and sharing your stories.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian. It was so yeah. nice to meet you. I'm glad I met you at the forum. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, it's been been my pleasure, Sabrina. Until until we meet again.
1: Okay, <laughs> for right. sure. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brian. Mm-hmm. Bye
2: bye. Well, that's it.
0: I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.